I think one of the things that needs to change is technology and the business can't be seen as separate anymore. The actual, the technology budget and the business budget need to go together. Um, yeah. And we need to consider that. And that actually rolls up to the strategy. So a lot of businesses have always done a, a really good business strategy. And then after you nail the business strategy, along comes the IT strategy to help enable yeah. it. <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah. Uh, after the fact and wasn't considered at the right time and the right level. All right, team, we are back at it for Bootcamp and Battle Scars, the innovation podcast where we get down to the nitty-gritty with uh, those leaders in the uh, the firms that we're identifying as frontier firms out there doing the business, making innovation happen in the New Zealand business landscape. So it is going to be another absolute ripper of a conversation today. But before we do anything else, we always have to say a very, very warm welcome to our friend in uh, the bottom left-hand corner there, Mr. Adrian Packer. How are you doing, sir? Yeah. How are you going, mate? Yeah, good, 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 good. And uh, we're going to jump straight across to the, uh, I guess, the other side in the top right. Mr. Mark Jeffrey, how are you doing? Very well, mate. And you? Yeah, good, good, good. And uh, Michael, in the bottom right, how are you doing, sir? Yeah, no, fantastic. It's Friday. All good. <laughs> it, is, it is all good. All right, well, um, it'll be paper, rock, scissors between the two of you to see who goes first. But um, we like to kind of kick things off and, uh, I guess, get to know people. And uh, obviously, the elevator pitch is something that we all kind of know within the business world. Um, Mark, do you want to go first and just give us a real quick uh, rundown on kind of who you are and um, what you do with yourself uh, during the day? Yeah, so I work for Fletcher Building. I'm the GM of IT, uh, looking after construction residential and corporate divisions uh day to day um so i run the technology for those three divisions look at the strategy the execution of that strategy and making sure we've got that innovation ticking along nice nice and how about you michael yeah so uh, i'm the director of a, uh, a consulting uh, organization called simon which has uh, traditionally come from the space of um, information systems architecture in terms of helping organizations to, uh, I guess, make the, the difficult uh, technology decisions around where they want to invest their time and money when they're investing in technology. Um, we're slightly branching out into uh, slightly broader areas, but the same general, the same general uh, thing applies in terms of uh, advice consultancy around uh, investments in technology. Nice, nice. All right then, Adrian. Well, you know, you get to uh, play, I guess, ringmaster in today's discussion a little bit. What are we, what are we going to be getting into and in, uh, wrestling with today? Okay, uh, so one of the questions um, most asked of us, I think, when we're working with organisations and trying to build a culture of um, rapid innovation, is uh, probably we can't do that because our IT is a barrier to it, right? So we we can't do this because we're not allowed to get on with some stuff. Um, there's long-term plans for our infrastructure, so it's not a lot of pointless experimenting with um, IoT, for example. It's not a lot of pointless doing some rapid innovation type work. Um, we've got to go at the pace of of, um, of, of the technology group. Or, or we can't access even things like Teams because these are closed down and they need to be controlled centrally. And it's quite a balance. You know? How do you, how do you um, actually balance these long-term innovation cycles which are run at the, um, the corporate level or, or the group level or whatever it might be with with a culture of experimentation? What are the techniques and what are the tips 
and what do you need to do to buy in the the senior uh, technologists so that's that's my question i was hoping you know <laughs> ask this question I'm gonna ask <laughs> the two people i know who can help me answer that question so um i don't know what, what's the answer <laughs> what, what, what do you reckon mark do you want to get us do you want, do you want to get us yeah. kicked off with some of your initial thoughts yeah, like I disagree slightly. I think the senior technologists are actually keen to see that innovation happen. Um, we're all dealing with the same problem of how do you actually enable that innovation within a set of guardrails? So what we can't have is people going off and doing their own thing, connecting to different systems and databases, and for a whole lot of reasons, security, privacy, supportability going forward. Um, it is really trying to think and about what is the framework and what's the freedom in that framework that we can allow innovation in. Um, one of the most important things that we need to do is challenge those senior leadership teams in technology. And those teams are up for the challenge, but they need to be guided in the right direction and see where the business wants to focus on that innovation. And we do have longer term uh, strategies and strategic plays that we need to play the innovation around. And that's not going to change, but I don't see it as a barrier. It's just about working out how we actually get those guardrails in place. What do you mean by guardrail? Give me an, give me an example of what that might be. Uh, so it's setting up a framework. So you might have different tiers. Um, and so we're looking at low code at the moment. And if you have a low code platform, citizen development, what are we actually going to let them play with in terms of creating that, creating some workflows? And that might be your simple tier one. As soon as you want to connect to another system or um, tap into some data that could potentially have privacy reasons uh, or importance around it, then you need to go through a light governance process. And then building on, it's what's supportable in the future. And IT's got to be really careful. And this is where the senior technologists um, are probably most concerned is that if they sign up to innovation, we need to be able to support it longer term and incorporate it as part of the overall stack. And by having those tiers, it enables the innovation store to happen and the micro battles to take place. And then it can move through those tiers with the right governance and approvals. So then we can um, have it supported and it becomes part of the BAU stack. I reckon that this is probably a good time to let Michael off the leash and sort of say, what, 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 what have you got to throw into the mix? Are you, are you coming to the party, I guess, from... From Mark's perspective, or have you got have you got some alternative thoughts on the issue? Yeah, look, I think um, the the things that Mark has said are the kinds of things that I've seen elsewhere as well, and 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 are you know it's a good approach. Um, I'd, I'd add to it and go. One of the things that's really important is being clear about accountabilities and responsibilities in terms of roles mm -hmm. and so forth. Because I think sometimes what you see is that you might have a part of the organisation that because they've got some budget. And they feel that they, uh, they have the ability to spend that money on something innovative that they then can go and do that. But I think what Mark is, is touching on quite heavily is that, you know, yeah, they've got the money to spend on it, but they don't have the long-term responsibility to, to maintain. Yeah. And, and they may not have a full sense of the risks associated with that thing. So I guess with an architect's hat on, and, and, and it probably would go to what I would expect Mark is probably looking for inside the likes of Fletcher's as well, is that you, you want to be consulted in these, you know, you want you want anybody who wants to do that kind of innovative uh, work 
yeah, it's fine to have the money and it's fine to go and try things out in a, in a but, but do it, do it after having had the conversation with your, you know, your, your, um, your business partners and sort of information technology who'll be able to say, look, th- these are the risks. These are, these are the things that we've got going on at the moment that you might not know about that are actually going to change the game for you anyway. Uh, that, 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 those are the kinds of things that are quite important, I think. Brings it a challenge though, right? So um, maybe in theory, it sounds good, but if you've got 10 questions to be, or 10, 10 innovations going on and one person to ask these questions of, we get a bottleneck, right? So, you know, we, we slow the processes down in, in the perception of the, um, the the maverick innovators, right? You know, it's now slow, it's now top down. Um, so yeah. what, can we do to, what can we do to speed that up? I think capacity is always going to be an issue. Um, part of it is we need to prioritize the right things with the business. So if you have a, a technology function um, and you've got people in the business that want to drive innovation, that still needs to be a priority for the business. So what we find is that we've got some mavericks, some great people who are learning tech, which is fantastic, but do their line management and do their senior leadership teams actually want them working on that and focusing on it? So if you can get the alignment between the business and the uh, technology teams, then you can start opening up that capacity uh, to make sure you can support it. And part of the challenge we need to give to the technology teams is how do you open up the capacity and make sure that we're enabling those developers, citizen developers or innovation teams to be able to do what they need to do um, without going off the reservation. Right. Yeah, I, I think I, I do care what, um, what Mark said then about um, priority. Like it's the hardest thing. It's really difficult, yeah. I think, a lot of the times trying to balance the cool new thing that you you know you just have this gut feel is going to make this huge difference to what you do versus the stuff that you just have to do because you know the business is not going to kind of survive if you don't do this this important infrastructural thing that takes a long time and and it's it can be really hard for organizations to make the, the right balance there and and, and and capacity is a real is a real problem because typically people most of the capacity goes on those key infrastructural things that you have a higher degree of certainty are going to give you an outcome versus some of the innovative stuff that you know the outcomes a little less certain so how do you um how do you move the big ship though right so um, you're painting a picture of roadmaps which um I, I think is is important you know this is where the business is going this is where we see the opportunities and there's probably a process that's um identifying opportunities but a, a roadmap while it's important for to enable short-term innovation cycles feels kind of constraining as well in terms of what you know the, the longer term picture so how do you maintain that 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 kind of dynamic strategy um if if you need to um which, which are, you know arguably you do need to do these days right keep a dynamic approach to strategy how would you do that i mean i, I think for me the, the roadmap is the long-term thing rather yeah. than the thing that's the short term right they I, one of the things that i've seen in a few different places in um and, and and I think it can be quite successful if it's managed appropriately. Is it's sort of having these two, I don't know, for want of a better word, two buckets of money, right? Two buckets of resources. These are the these these people, their job is to, you know, that they're, they're focused on innovation and things and, and they're and they're allowed, they're given the time and the space to work on those things. And they're somewhat dedicated to that task as opposed to having to split their time between 
the, the kind of roadmap things and the, or, or the infrastructural things and the innovative stuff because the stuff that, that you have them that uh, is perceived to be infrastructural and therefore the future of the company relies on it will always win um, over the infrastructural stuff. So, you know, if you take someone like New Zealand, for example, at one stage they had Innovations and Ventures, which is this thing off to the side, which is where they went and did all this innovative stuff. And I think it, it, for a long time that worked really well in the sense that those people were somewhat ring-fenced. Ring you know, they, they worked on those things separately and they were allowed to work on those things and they didn't get sucked into all of the other stuff that was going on. And I think that that's one way of attacking the problem. It's kind of a little bit dependent on company culture and the way that things are funded in terms of capital and various other things inside organisations. But that, that's one way of achieving the kind of thing you're talking about, I think, Adrian. Yep. I don't know what you're yeah. saying, Mark. Yeah, that's a really good point, and it comes back to focus for me. Um, and the Stifler for innovation isn't so much roadmaps and technology departments. It's trying to do too much. So we need to give people the funding and the time to actually execute and be able to fail and then test and learn and go forward with that. And that, that's what I see as the biggest problem. Um, everyone's trying to chase too much. And Post-COVID, the digital transformation has just accelerated for any, what anybody thought was going to happen. Um, yeah. And during that period, we actually achieved a lot across the New Zealand businesses um, in terms of innovation because you had dedicated people um, or teams focusing on one or two outputs. And that's unusual because usually it's 10 to 15 different things that they're trying to knock off um, in any sort of time period. So... I think the learning from that we've kind of lost going back post-COVID is we're falling back into the old ways um, and we need to get back to that just relentless focus on give the people the time, give them the budgets and let them go at it. It's um, So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in because that's a perfect segue because one of the key elements that uh, we know about this Boot Camp and Battle Scars uh, podcast is the, the Battle Scars part. And you've just spoken about something that's probably um, we've all got some level of experience from. But I was just, you know, want to, and curious to, to to know and understand. Does you know, does anything come to mind in terms of uh, personal experience that you may have had around that issue of doing too much, um, and, and maybe some of the reflections that came out of uh, reaching that point where you went, I actually, no, 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 we've got to we've got to stay focused. We, you know, were there any sort of curious learnings that came out of a situation that might have looked or felt that way? Hmm. I'm in the middle of something at the moment that falls into that category a little bit, and and I've seen it in plenty of plenty of plenty of uh, times. I think prioritization gets more and more complex. Obviously, the bigger that you get. So if you're someone like Fletcher Building, I mean, I know the complexity that goes on in there. And my current situation has a highly highly complex set of things that are going on. So trying to prioritize across that is um, is very, very tricky. And, and and unless you have a good framework in place, which is what Mark kind of talked about, I think, at the very kind of start of this, unless you've got a good framework in place for how you how you take in requests for things that you want to do, how you um, uh, do some sort of light governance over the top and, and sort of uh, understand whether they meet um, the kind of qualification criteria for you know this thing's more important than this other thing. Otherwise, if you don't, if you don't have that, then you end up with just kind of fighting over all sorts of different things, and it becomes really really hard to make any progress. 
and 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 we've had that in the situation that um that i've seen of late but at the same time we're also um addressing it as well and trying to um you know we, we were in we're in the, the the right at the moment reshaping the framework by which we operate into to much better at doing um putting that kind of governance in place and that prioritization and how, i mean how challenging is it to i guess um retrofit i guess that that level of um or that you know those frameworks into those situations after the fact how how tricky is uh, it is there is there is there ways that you, it can be made easier in our case it's incredibly tricky because there's a lot of pressure on a program that has to deliver with a certain time frame mm. uh, if you if it's more general if it's not based on a particular set of outcomes that has been looked for because of things that have already been um, you know signed off in terms of business cases and other things and maybe you, you probably got a little bit more rope to work with in terms of getting something like that in place trying, trying to do it for something that's already you know got set, a set set of expectations is kind of not the ideal way of attacking it but like you're pushing more decisions closer to the work is that what the framework you're talking about or is it looking like raising it up for more governance or more process so the, the way you see this manifested mostly these days is has to do with um uh ideas around agile and using you know so the concepts that we're running with are kind of um, loosely based on things this is a thing called safe like the scale agile framework you know there's ideas of sort of identifying epics and features and, and and kind of things that you want to build and and if you've got that if you've got the right tooling in place then you can keep adjusting those things and keep quickly going this is this is more important than this other thing and and you know you, you up the cadence i suppose by which you are evaluating what which thing you're going to do first um but it has to tie into a broader view of how the architecture fits together and everything else as well because if you do that without that then you end up making decisions that oh, you want to do this first but you're missing a bunch of other things as well so it's 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 not a panacea right it's quite it's quite complex uh what goes on but it, there are ways of addressing it and and you know there are some large organizations out there that do exactly that Right. So it is the uncomfortable truth for the mavericks out there that you can innovate quickly, but it has to be within a framework of selected fewer projects that reach a conclusion. You, you, you know, I would say yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 The system in which we innovate is, is the enabler of those kind of mavericks to be successful rather than to, I don't know, um, die in a ditch or die in their sheds building stuff that no one's ever going to use ultimately right so we, we still do see see some of that going on right where where passionate people feel it's best to to escape the frameworks and do it separately but ultimately it goes nowhere right i mean it, it ultimately just sits in that you know metaphorical yeah. shed. do you know what i mean yeah it's an important point so passion's great but you need people to think logically and also it's really important innovation to call it when it's not going to work and if people are too passionate about an idea, they can't see the wood from the trees and they'll keep pursuing it and spending hundreds of hours and a lot of money uh, focusing on something that's not going to work. So it's really important that people try and pick out the big bets. So you can put a lot of ideas into the funnel, but then you need to land on what's your two or three big bets that you're going to take forward and really drive that innovation on. Yeah. Hmm. So if, if you were to put a uh sorry to dominate the conversation there's lots of questions i've got in this space right but if you um, put in a good quality 
technologist in some of these project teams. I'm talking, say, um, like with, with with physical product companies, right? Where they're where they're not about building IT. They're about building maybe you know technology into the into the product itself, or they're about um, improving their business processes using technology. What what would be the characteristics of a good innovation champion from a technology point of view? Would you say what would you be looking for if you were to hire that person? Oh, I'll be looking for someone who's got business experience added with that technology uh, experience. I think it's a, the danger we have is a lot of people coming out of university and even self-taught, but they're just specialised in technology only. And we've seen it. Agile is a great um, way of working and the principles are fantastic in the right areas, but you get Agile zealots. And if they come out with a lack of business experience, that's when we start to see failures in projects. If you can combine people with actual business experience with agile and the technology pieces, that's where you start getting your nuggets ago. Yeah, agile can be a bit like a religion for some people sometimes. And you know, like anything, you can take it, you can um, go overboard on it. I think people talk about agile with a small a and a big a, right? You know, like we, yeah. I think, uh, I can't remember which way around it is, but uh, you know the the, the it, one form of agile is the one where you know you must do it like this is because this is what agile says. Now the, the ironic thing about that is that nobody agrees what actually agile is. There's like a, yeah. a, so many different variations to agile that exist out there. People that love safe um, are hated by those that do scrum. You know, for example, sometimes you know because they'll got the scrum people go on oh, agile safe is just another vision of doing waterfall or vice you know you have these crazy arguments that go on and, and they're not helpful but everybody's actually trying to do the same thing in terms of trying to um avoid being stuck in great big long cycles of bureaucracy just to try to get something useful out the door but the the problem the problem is that every organization is different everyone has a different um a different kind of corporate framework that they need to operate in. Everyone's got a different culture. So the agile that is right for one organization is not going to be the agile that's right for another organization. So you've got to you've got to um, you've got to tailor it accordingly. But but it's certainly better than than um, just kind of forcing people to go through a whole set of bureaucracy that doesn't kind of receive any outcomes, which you know, where, which is where people get frustrated, I think, and, and end up doing the things that you, that you kind of alluded to around the zealots who go off to, sorry, um, not zealots, but the, uh, you know, the people that go off and, and just randomly go and do stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess you, you kind of get this, again, it's, it's the tension we're talking about between um, a framework being a set of norms and behaviors that help us understand something, right? Like a, a signpost towards a destination rather than the destination itself, right? The framework's just a, how we articulate the way we're going to work that's one side of the spectrum the other side of the spectrum is this is how we must operate because it's in the book or it's in the manual or it's in the, the way i've been taught and it seems to me this conversation is about how do we continually improve our frameworks so that they get us better outcomes and that may be the part of the answer to this it's without a framework there's no there's no norms without a way of improving that framework we get stuck in something that worked yesterday, but may not work down the line, right? So, is it possible for your for your senior people to have ten percent of their focus on improving the ways of working at that framework level? Does that happen? Yeah, I wish I'd had. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's hard to pick a percentage, but like yeah. I, I think uh, there's a couple of points with you actually need that creative tension. Um, right. 
where I think organisations go slightly wrong is they'll land on a way of working and then they'll just pursue that way of working. Actually, what you need is to bring um, the challenges from within the technology teams, within the business, together with those senior technologists, create that tension, have robust discussions. Um, it might feel a bit awkward at some stages, but you're going to get the right outcome. And you just need to continually evolve. And we can't sit still anymore. The pace of change is going to be rapid. That's not going to let up. So everyone needs to work out how you get that cycle and whether that be a monthly review quarterly or um, how each organization wants to work it but there needs to be really challenging and robust discussions and it's okay to disagree and it's okay to have some arguments around it yeah it's a continuous improvement i mean it, what we're really talking about here is not just continuous improvement in the sense of you know your core business and production but continuous improvement in the, the supporting framework that allows you to change on an ongoing basis as well. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think that, that that's, that's what we're yeah, getting at. Absolutely. Without articulating your innovation management system, or whatever you want to call it, you can't improve it, right? Because there isn't, you know, yeah. there's nothing to touch and, and move around yeah. or critique. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, 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 and I think for, I was going to say, yeah. for some organizations, accepting that they need that in the first place because changes are constant. As opposed to treating this big, because the other thing that I see in places is that it's like, oh, we're going to run this. You know, we, we, there's this thing that we need to do, right? We're going to run this big program, and then, and once it's done, it's done, and you know, we'll go back to normal. But I, I think there <laughs> is no normal anymore, right? No. You know, this stuff is constant, and uh, I, but I think for some organisations, getting their head around the fact that that constant change is the norm now is the hardest thing because. The other thing that you see is that once you've run the big thing and you then wanting to continually make change, I think the challenge for some organizations is changing the way that they, they then do their kind of capital funding and thinking about how they fund things. Because if you're doing agile properly, it can totally changes the way that you do things rather than going, I'm going to, I'm going to um, spend X amount of money on capital projects this year. You go, I'm going to, this is the amount we're going to spend every year on change. And then we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, take that budget and we're going to use it on the things that are, that are the most highest priority that we identify over the course of the year. That's an entirely different way of thinking to going, oh, we're going to do this great big upfront planning and figure out all the most important things. There's still a place for that because there are certain things that you've got to do that you, that, that are, you know, that they're kind of more infrastructural things. But if you're doing agile and in a, in a, in a, I think in a, if it's well bedded in, then it, it changes the way that you fund everything as well. It's a great perspective. Sorry, we'll we'll is that such a point, Mike? We'll jump in then. I'll, I'll go last because mine's. I'll figure it later. Oh no, no, you go, mate. Because I, I I guess mine's a little bit of a peripheral question, but you you, you go, well, you go, Adrian. Get... As, as I guess you, you were going to say something then, I reckon. Oh, I was just. Um, it's a just a really good point. Uh, I think this oh. is where the evolution is happening. Um, so what we're trying to do with innovation and um, the short and long cycles, actually the budget cycle is a really important part that needs to line up with it. And you need to be given that freedom with the budget and to a certain extent um, within those innovation cycles, the short ones, to be able to do what you need to do. And that is a mindset change um, for some organisations. Absolutely. And so we've got this um, the, these concepts of cross-functional teams doing the innovation is fairly well kind of you know, understood and implemented in most organizations now, right? Or, or many organizations. Some organizations. 
some organizations, <laughs> right? In, in some it's a tough. I actually think it's hard. It's it's hard for a lot of organizations to get ahead around cross-functional teams, uh, because you you're kind of you you're encouraging people to do things that are and work in ways that maybe keep shifting. When people yeah. like a degree of certainty, and every time you create a new cross-functional team, you're kind of forcing people out of their comfort zone to a degree. It can be quite hard to do, I think, if the culture is not right. Great point. Yeah. So, uh, I know a good, you're pulling me up very well here. The, the concept of cross-functional team is very well understood. The implementation maybe isn't always evident, right? So everybody gets it, but they don't always do it, right? And the same is probably yeah. true. Well, my question really I'm getting to was, when you talk about funding, are you talking about funding in the, in the, in the um, silo of technology, or are you talking about the funding in the concept of innovation? And, and surely if we're getting this cross-functional things, then some of our buckets should be, now we need more money in technology. Now we need more money in, you know, customer experience, for example, or whatever it might be, which may be technology, but you know what I mean? I mean, for me, when I talk about funding, I'm talking about funding at, at, a, at a high level again, really funding for capital, funding funding the capital chain for projects or, or things or change projects. So those change things might be people, they might be processed, they might be technology. But, I mean, typically large organizations, you know, they, they, they run these big, um, pre-financial year planning exercises to go. What are we? What are we going to spend the you know our capital budget on next year? Um, and and you know do the great big planning exercise and, and come up with this big you know bucket of money and go. Well, we're going to spend our hundred million dollars. Twenty is going to be on this and forty is going to be on this and you know et cetera et cetera. Um, it, it, that that approach has some challenges when you are trying to adjust on a you know, on a, at a lower level from an agile standpoint, uh, because if you've already predetermined that you're going to spend $20 million on this particular thing, and then the market changes, or you want to do some other innovative thing, you, you know, if you haven't set the money aside to go, well, we've got X amount of money to spend on just doing innovative things, then there's never any money to, available and, and, and the, the targets are all set so that it never gets done. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And I think one of the things that needs to change is Technology and the business can't be seen as separate anymore. They actually, the technology budget and the business budget need to go together. Um, yeah. And we need to consider that. And that actually rolls up to the strategy. So a lot of businesses have always done a, a really good business strategy. And then after you nail the business strategy, along comes the IT strategy to help enable yeah. it. <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah. after the fact and wasn't considered at the right time and the right level. So yeah. they now need to be merged and just done as one strategy. And I think that's coming. I think the the change with COVID, the pace of digital transformation, what's happening in the market is starting to draw that together. I'm seeing a lot more of the right conversations happening at the right level, um, which is really encouraging. And IT and technology has got a, more of a seat at the table. Perfect. I love it. When you start talking, sorry, Greg, just build on that point. When you, when you start talking about... Um, capabilities as a strategy right so what capabilities yeah. are we going to need to be successful in the future you can't take them out and be functions right so a capability no. has to be the people the process the data that you're going to require the technology that sits around that that capability so thinking in that way can really um drive a lot of value adrian yeah. you've been you've been listening carefully to my uh to my spiel <laughs> <laughs> of course, well, that's why we're here for it. It's, a, it's an all learning environment, and there's nothing. There's nothing better, they say, than hearing your own words 
I know. I'm just sitting there thinking. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm hearing all the things I say coming back to me. Thank you, AJ. Yeah. Well, that, that's it. I, I will. I will give you the credit. <laughs> well, so it, it's a it's a beautiful segue into uh, into my question, just to begin to kind of wrap things up. Um, obviously, part of the reason that we're here talking with you both um, is is that you are thought leaders within uh, the innovation uh, sector and the New Zealand business landscape, and obviously from that frontier firms perspective. So, what I'm really interested to, I guess, to get from you both um, as we sort of wrap things up is. You know, one or two things that you're thinking about or you're kind of seeing um, that New Zealand landscape head towards or you'd like that New Zealand landscape to be heading towards within the sort of next three to five years. And what are the things that you're excited about um, that I guess we can begin to work on collectively as a, as a, as a sector to move in that direction? It's a big question. Um, that is tough. <laughs> I'll give it a crack. So look, one of the things I'm really excited about is um, we're really building on everyone being in technology. So IT and technology has traditionally been the home of uh, technology teams that sit in business functions. I think that's changing, and I think it has to change. So the way I see it is that every single person organisation is touching technology and they're in technology. And because of the pace of change, we actually need those people going to the tech conferences, doing all the reading about the new technology, IoT, um, the change in digital. And then that is going to help us um, enable that digital transformation a lot faster and a lot cheaper as well. So one of the issues has always been the cost of the change. Well, actually, if we can bring more people in and we can leverage the low-code piece and leverage our own internal people that already know the business processes, and this is the key to it, where the cost of a lot of technology project comes in is you are um, essentially bringing people from outside the organisation to come and learn it. If you can actually have those people within the organisation that already know it and know the processes, then start developing the tech under the with the G or technology guardrails and with the supported technology team, I think we can go a very long way. Oh, love it. Challenging stuff. And what about you, Michael? Yeah, no, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that what's going to happen is that we continue along the path of increasing maturity in the understanding of how to deal with kind of agile type approaches to things. I think. It's quite uneven, the, the understanding um, out there. Uh, there's a lot of different levels of experience and, and understanding of these things. There's been a conversation before about some people being quite zealot-like and others not. And I guess, I think once people, because large, some very large organizations and Spark were you know, in, the, in the news for, um, a couple of years ago, but having done this like quite major agile you know, they, they basically turned their entire organization, organization structure, I think, to some sort of vision of agile. Um, I think the, the more large organizations that, are, that do this stuff, the more people have the opportunity to learn and experience it. And hopefully it increases the, the level of um, maturity because people have experienced what works and what doesn't. And so they then are able to take that into other organizations and make them more successful um, when they're doing, when, you know, when they're attempting to to do kind of big transformation things and, and applying kind of agile type concepts into the mix. Um, well, yeah, I, I think that's probably it. Nice, yeah, nice. Well, uh, like I say, that was two very uh, poignant 
we talk about our mic drop moments where you've been able to kind of make your point and uh, leave us with more than uh, more than one or two things to kind of ponder and consider. Uh, as per usual, it's so awesome to be able to get, uh, I guess, get down to the uh, the nitty gritty with you both and explore and unpack some of uh, some of these issues and challenges from a, a really honest and authentic and real kind of way, which. Um, as we've seen earlier, Adrian has uh, definitely take some, taken some of that learning on board and is able to reflect it back to Michael. And um, yeah, it's really awesome. I and mean, we really do appreciate uh, your time today. So go well. We really uh, look forward to seeing what is on the horizon for you both in the future. And uh, till the next time we speak, all the best.